0: an American hero who's over 25 years of military service, expertise in U.S.-China relations, economic and national security, makes my next guest the perfect candidate to author his latest just released eye-opening read, Stealth War, How China Took Over While America's Elite Slept and this amid coronavirus and the global pandemic, all of which we will talk about today. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome a high honor indeed, Senior Fellow at the acclaimed Hudson Institute and Brigadier General, United Air Force Retired, Robert S. Spaulding. General Spaulding, sir, welcome to testimony.
1: Thank you so much, it's great to be here.
0: Well, General Spaulding, it's great to have you, first of all, Thank you for taking precious time to share your critical insights on a topic that has engulfed our nation, the world, and our very lives, namely the coronavirus. But before we get to all of this in our brief time here today, can you give our listeners a capsulized overview of your recently released Stealth War, How China Took Over while America's elite slept.
1: Yes, you know, um, I, uh, my career in the Air Force was primarily flying uh, first the B-52, but um, mostly the B-2 stealth bomber. Uh, but uh, in 2001, I was selected to go uh, into a program called the Olmstead Scholar Program, which um, really uh, sends uh, officers overseas from each branch, each each branch of the service, to study uh, in a language and a culture. And I chose China. And so my my family and I moved to Shanghai in 2002, and we lived there from 2002 to 2004. Now, consequently, uh, something that uh, is going to come up uh, later on is the fact that we were there during the SARS outbreak. So I had firsthand... Uh, you know, knowledge of what how the um, the government approached the SARS outbreak. Um, and then, you know, I went back into the Air Force, but because of this experience, the Air Force eventually groomed me to be the senior defense official in Beijing. And that grooming started at the Council on Foreign Relations in New York City, where I was a senior military fellow for a year, and I uh, got to meet a lot of our uh, financial and industry um, uh, professionals in the United States. I uh, went from there to the Pentagon to be the advisor on China policy and strategy for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, and then from there went to be the senior defense official in Beijing for the U.S. military, and then from there went to the White House to be the senior director for strategy uh, at the National Security Council. Now, that time from... You know, the time I was at the Council on Foreign Relations to the time I was in the White House was intensely focused on the competition between the U.S. and China. And it in it, uh, in the beginning, it was primarily a military focus as I looked at, you know, the arrays of, array of weapons that they uh, had built in the Indo-Pacific theater and how we were uh, trying to counter that. And one of the things uh, that... I have that uh, a lot of my colleagues do not have is prior experience in China and a PhD in economics and this wonderful um, Rolodex from New York where I could tap into the financial and industry captains of the country to ask questions about um, you know, economics and finance and trade, and particularly as it, as it dealt with this military challenge I was looking at. In addition, I was receiving a steady stream of data on how global economics worked uh, between the U.S. and China. And in particular, I had one briefing that came to me in the fall of 2014 that had been put together by one of the senior audit agencies in the country, uh, the companies, and it detailed how company after company after company had had come under attack by the, the Chinese Communist Party, using elements of the nation-state, uh, like the intelligence apparatus and the, and the cyber uh, apparatus, for the purpose of acquiring some of their technology or intellectual property. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I realized that the problem was much deeper than just the, the military layer that I had been looking at, but actually you know, extended to the economic uh, and financial and trade layer. And so we started looking at, at that time, I had a team of, uh, I was in the Pentagon, I had a team of China experts that had lived in China, they spoke Chinese, uh, they understood the government uh, and the party, things that I had never dealt with uh, in my two years living in China. I had mostly dealt with the people. And so we started working on, you know, if we were going to protect uh, from the things that we were beginning to see from this data that we were collecting from from New York, you know, how would we come up with a strategy to counter that? And so the book really uh, is the background and context for the national security strategy that we currently have, and really it, it, it meant to summarize that whole effort to study the competition that was going on, the impact to the United States in national security and democracy, and then most importantly to provide some uh, ideas of what we can do about it, and then get that out to the American people in a format that you didn't have to be a national security policy expert or a China expert or an, an economics expert to understand. So it's really me telling my story of having, you know, gone through this with a fine tooth comb with a team of experts to understand what we needed to do um, in order to kind of right the shift.
0: Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to General Robert S. Spalding. his latest must-read Stealth War. General Spalding, talk about the failure of leadership in recent decades to confront China's infiltration into all sectors of society, industry, and academia, and just how uh, this has happened. Case in point, placing Confucius institutes and universities across the U.S. to control and monitor, you say, Chinese students for the purpose of spreading communistic narratives to unsuspecting American students. Talk about that.
1: Well, so what people don't realize is that the Confucius institutes themselves are under the um, uh, under the arm of the Chinese Communist Party responsible for propaganda. So the funding for Confucius Institutes is essentially coming uh, as propaganda funding from the Chinese Communist Party. So when they go into a university, there's two things that they stipulate. Number one, that they control the curriculum. And number two, they control the hiring of the instructors. So what they what they uh, say is that the Confucius Institutes are Chinese uh, language, um, you know, teaching centers. They're also there to teach Chinese culture, but in reality, they're there to teach the Chinese Communist Party's narrative of the truth. In addition, they are a one component within a um, surveillance system that that speaks to along with the Chinese student associations and the Chinese embassies and consulates in the United States seeks to make sure that Chinese students don't become too, quote, Americanized by adopting, you know, principles and, and, and values of the United States, like dem- democracy and human rights. And so it's really a combination of a propaganda effort and a surveillance effort against their own students.
0: Well. Wow. You also talk about the enormous sums to American experts who then create investment funds that funnel technology to China. Question, who are these experts, and what are their funds?
1: So, um, you know, for instance, uh, in the Air Force, one of our uh, lead uh, scientists, for jet engines, where you know, we, the United States has the most technologically advanced jet engines in the world. So the Air Force's least scientist for jet engines uh, worked at General Electric for 30 years designing jet engines. And in fact, when he retired from General Electric, was offered 10 times what he was making at General Electric to come to China to teach the Chinese how to make uh, you know, uh, jet engines. You you may have seen in the news recently that the head of the chemistry department at Harvard University was uh, pursued through the Thousand Talents Program. Now, the Thousand Talents Program is the same program this general electric uh, scientist was um, pursued under is a way for China to acquire talent from the United States. So in the case of the Harvard professor, he was doing research for uh, the department of defense and then getting paid by the chinese the sum of fifty thousand dollars per month plus his own research lab in china to bring that same research to the people's liberation army in china And so it's really the thousands of talents program is really about finding the smartest people in science and technology paying them handsomely to bring all of their know-how
0: to China. Well, wow. so you lived in China, as you alluded to earlier, first in Shanghai and then in Beijing. Um, you've earned a doctorate in economics and mathematics. Uh, you've been a former China strategist and chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and Joint Staff at the Pentagon, as well as senior defense official and defense attache to China, you have mentioned all of this. Question: Was China, uh, General Spalding, always on your radar in your early career, and how are you best able to help our country as a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and former National Security Advisor for the White House?
1: So you know, my um, the reason I wrote the book and the reason I'm not and no longer in the military uh, was because I asked. Um, the service, the Air Force, to let me retire so that I could essentially bring this message to the American people. Because you know, when you're in government, you're not allowed to uh, essentially um, speak freely. It's 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 part of the obligation of being a military officer that you um, that you're not allowed to talk about um, freely the things that you've learned and you worked on. And so, I asked to leave. Uh, The military, so I could do that and write this book and really advocate to the American people. So what I do at the Hudson Institute and as an associate fellow at the Henry Jackson Society in London is really try to explain what's going on with Chinese influence. Why do institutions like the WHO no longer promote uh, democratic principles and human rights and civil liberties? Why uh, is 5G a problem and data security and protection and privacy? No longer, um, no longer guaranteed. All of these things I'm trying to bring to light. Everything that I learned. So that's how I, that's how I, uh, you know, provide that service uh, today, uh, as in my role as a, um, as an author and as a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute.
0: Well, That's fantastic, and we'll be giving our listeners uh, that information at the end of our broadcast, how they can reach out to you, get in touch, get your book, and also invite you to speak. So next question, General. You mentioned a 30-year agreement with the U.S. that allows China to share peaceful nuclear technology, ensuring they have access to American nuclear know-how. Under whose watch did this happen, and what are the implications and impact of that decision today?
1: Yeah, this is when I was at the Pentagon in my role as advisor to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and I had received an email from the National Security Council asking if we had, if the the, um, Joint uh, staff had any um, objections to renewing this 123 agreement. And of course, I had never heard of the one-two-three agreement. But uh, as I looked into it and realized that a lot of the engineers that work on the AP1000 reactor, the Westinghouse civil nuclear reactor, also work on other naval nuclear uh, reactors, which are critical to our national security. I said, uh, we can't we can't do this because it would be providing the Chinese the know how to um, to build to work on and, and develop our uh, very uh, secret reactors. And so uh, when I objected to that, that wasn't the end of it. Of course, I got called to the National Security Council and explained my concern. And of course, eventually was uh, overridden um, by uh, the National Security Council because they wanted to sell uh, this technology to the Chinese. And what I explained to them is not only were you, was it going to be a national security issue, but also eventually the Chinese would be then uh, selling us nuclear reactors in the future.
0: And under whose watch uh, did this happen, if you can share?
1: Uh, This is the Obama administration.
0: The Obama administration. Okay, thank you for that. How, in your view, is President Trump and his administration doing in fighting the COVID pandemic? And why did you leave, and perhaps you've already answered that, or was relieved from your post at the White House accordingly after uh, submitting a memo on 5G. Can you speak to this?
1: Uh, yeah, so um, I, I, so for the president, I think he's doing an actually a pretty good job because what happened was uh, the Chinese Communist Party hid the fact that there was human-to-human transmission of the coronavirus uh, in January And in fact, um, the WHO also was failed to communicate the warnings that they had received from Taiwan that the Chinese were covering up the human-to-human transmission. And so, the president actually acted uh, counter to the advice of the CDC experts uh, in the United States to ban flights to and from China. So he he acted to be more restrictive than the CDC folks were uh, asking for. Of course, uh, you know, that was um, actually turned out to be very prescient. Uh, But of course, then what we had is 5 million people leave Wuhan uh, around 23 January, before 23 January when it was shut down. A lot of them flew to Europe and then from Europe to New York. And so, um, you know, we could have banned flights to and from uh, Europe But, again, that would have been counter to the advice that he was receiving both from the WHO and the CDC. So I think the president's done a a good job of managing the crisis. Uh, I think the the Chinese Communist Party is really the the party at fault here. And, of course, we found out that the WHO was was essentially corrupt. Um, And and so I think, you know, given those circumstances, it's about as good an outcome as we could hope to. Uh, achieve in the, in
0: the present circumstance. Yes, amen, and that leads me to my next question, but perhaps you've already answered this in part. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Brigadier General Robert S. Spaulding. His latest must-read, Stealth War, How China Took Over While America's Elite Slept. Uh, General, is America, quote, bought and paid for by organizations whose agenda is not in America's best interest? And if yes, by who and how, your view?
1: Yeah, so there's, I think there's three you know, overarching policies that we have to look at that have really contributed to um, where we are today. So number one is China's um, uh, removal of most favored nation trading status, both in the Congress and subsequent elevation to the World Trade Organization. Before that, Every single year in the Congress, we had to have a vote on whether the Chinese Communist Party was a human rights violator and whether or not they had a free market economy. And, of course, they are, they are still a human rights violator, and they still do not have a free market economy. So if that were, were in still, that policy were still in place today, they, we would still have tariffs imposed on Chinese companies uh, instead, in, in 2001, the, the Chinese were brought into the WTO, and from 2001 to 2017, America lost over 70,000 factories and over two, uh, uh, over um, 3 million manufacturing jobs for a total loss of 13 million jobs uh, that were supporting those uh, overall manufacturing jobs. So tariffs was a, a huge policy mistake and a strategic mistake for the United States. The next one is in in the area of investment. So over the last year, $400 billion of Americans' retirement funds have been invested in Chinese companies despite the fact that the Securities and Exchange Commission does not require those companies to go through a standard audit like a U.S. corporations. So there's um, there's the allowance for those companies to sell stocks and bonds to our our investors in the United States without requiring audits. And then the last one is really the ability for U.S. corporations to invest in China and count the profits and assets held in China. But those assets and profits can't be brought back to the United States. So in essence, they do not have access to those profits, but they, yet they are count, counting them on their financial statements uh, like their 10Qs and 10Ks. So those three policies alone ensure that uh, the investment banks in Wall Street are acting according to the desires of the Chinese Communist Party because they're selling Chinese stocks and bonds to our, re- our institutional retirement funds. It ensures that U.S. corporations are acting uh, according to the Chinese Communist Party desires because they want to get the profits that are in China even though they can't bring them out of China. And then finally, because there's no tariff on Chinese goods, they can undercut uh, American producers in the United States, forcing the loss of our supply chain. So in essence, what what we did is incentivize the Chinese Communist Party and their companies to cheat our own citizens and companies because we believe that if we did that, that they would become wealthy, which they have, and that they, in in turn they would democratize, which they haven't. And so the book really talks about how globalization and the Internet and the idea of open markets leading to wealth and the wealth leading to democracy does not work when you have a totalitarian regime that doesn't believe in free trade or democratic principles or rule of law or human rights or civil liberties or any of the things that we believe in here in the United States. And the book just outlines how each of these areas we put into place policy mechanisms that advantage Chinese companies and disadvantage U.S. companies to the point where now we've completely bankrupted ourselves as a nation. Ninety-seven percent of the antibiotics come from China. 90% 90% of the M95 masks come from China. Uh, most of the um, active ingredients in pharmaceuticals come from China. F-35 components come from China. So nearly across the board, we have offshored our manufacturing capability to China as a, as a matter of policy and made ourselves poor and in, the, in, in turn made our citizens less free.
0: Well. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, again, Brigadier General Robert S. Spaulding, his explosive must-read, Stealth War, how China took over while America's elite sleep. So if I'm hearing you correctly, General, from 2001 to 2007, this was primarily under the Bush and Obama administrations, which leads me to my next question. The deep state.
1: And And Clinton.
0: And Clinton, thank you. The deep state, the Democratic Party, your view and why it's important we keep Trump in office.
1: Yeah, so I would, I, would not, I would not limit it to the Democratic Party. What I would say is the national security establishment, the national security and foreign policy establishment of the United States, which exists on the right and the left, and in the bureaucracy, took their eye off the ball misunderstood the application of information and finance and economics in a 21st century context and the implications to the continued uh, prosperity and freedom of the United States and essentially allowed the Chinese Communist Party to gain an advantage. And how um, what the president has brought to the table that has disrupted that, is this outsider's view of the world that doesn't comport with um, either the folks that are in the bureaucracy or uh, on the establishment on both the right and the left. What he said was, uh, essentially, we don't have free trade because the number two economy doesn't believe in free trade and takes advantage of of our efforts to promote free trade by taking advantage of our openness and in our generosity. And so he's basically forced the bureaucracy and the political system through much angst to um, come to terms with this fact. And I think that's why he's been so uh, important in actually making sure that we begin to change here in this country and change in ways that are gonna ensure our security and prosperity and freedom going forward. That's what he has brought. He's brought an outsider's view He's not an establishment person. And because he's not an establishment person, it's not just the left that wants to get rid of him. It's not just the right that wants to get rid of him. There's many in the bureaucracy. Again, they're all thinking about uh, you know, national security in the context of um, a pre-globalized, pre-internet world. We're no, no longer in that world. It's a completely different world. It's a world where data, like oil in the 20th century, is a strategic resource. It is used to power uh, these platforms like Amazon and Google and Facebook, and for the Chinese, Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent, to begin to grow economic wealth and power and influence and surveil populations. And so, in the US, tech companies have enormous amounts of power to control the narrative, in China, the Chinese Communist Party controls their versions of Facebook, Amazon, and Google to ensure that narrative supports the Chinese Communist Party. So it is really uh, you know, Mao's concept of people's war and political and ideological warfare brought into the modern age and expressed through the platforms and business models of Silicon Valley.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Brigadier General, USFA retired Robert S. Spalding on his recently released Stealth War, How China Took Over While America's Elite Slept. You can learn more about General Spalding's work, ministry, and mission by visiting the Hudson Institute at Hudson, H-U-D-S-O-N dot O-R-G and get his book, Get Informed, and then get engaged in a war, not on the battlefield, but for the heart and soul of America and what we can do as Americans to stop it. General Spalding, what a privilege bringing your voice to testimony for such a time as this and the call of God on your life, my view, to fulfill a mandate God knew you would long ago when he strategically placed you behind quote enemy lines to bring forth truth, hidden agendas, and the global corruption that has enabled it. We love the Chinese people, just not the communist party and the brutal regime that has decimated its own people and covered up the carnage in the process. Your book Stealth War is a wake up call and a call to action. We thank you for your service, your courage, and your continuing to fight the good fight on behalf of all Americans. God bless you.
1: Thank you so much. Great talk.
0: Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensen Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensinebard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jen Cien Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony.